0: Good morning, church. How are we doing this morning? Good. Good to see you. Nice morning today compared to yesterday. You may not have noticed. It was a little breezy yesterday, and so, uh, in fact, my front yard is full of lawn deer for uh, lights and such. And yeah, it looked like Santa Claus went on a hunting spree. My my deer are all over the place. So. Hey, I wanted to take an opportunity before we uh, get going too far into uh, the message uh, to introduce to you a young guy you've seen up here a lot. And this is Sean Hurley. Sean has actually been around Colonial Woods for years and you were ministering at some other churches and volunteering doing some other things. You might know him from Sean in the morning because he was, uh, was on the radio there for a few years and such. And when uh, you and your wife Carly have been coming to Clooney Woods for about 18 months or so, I think. I I lose track about some things. But um, back when we found out Pastor Ryan was going to be uh, transitioning and taking a position as an executive pastor at a church in Indiana, I reached out to Sean and said, Hey, Sean, would you be willing... Uh, to step in and give me a few months just to kind of help our team in transition and he said yeah I'd I'd be very open to that until maybe the first of the year and so I was really excited but almost immediately you started to share a little bit what God was doing in your heart regarding uh, a sense maybe God was calling you into a full-time ministry and that type of a thing and so we started talking about that and I've been going through an interview process and so while Sean has been our our transitional guy he was transitioning to himself uh, we are announcing today that Sean at the first of the year will be, become our uh, director of creative arts here at Colonial Woods and he'll be coming on full-time and so anyway so I'm glad now your wife I just happen to see she's over there so I'm not gonna make you come up but if you'd stand Carly I just want them to put it together this is his wife Carly And uh, she is, everybody agrees, your better half, and so that's good. But anyway, Sean, thanks so much. We're excited about what God's got in the future, and you've been a blessing. We've loved to worship alongside. I know the team loves you, and we're really looking forward to what God's going to do in the future. Thanks, Sean, again. Would you do that this morning? I like, uh, if you have your Bibles, would you take them and turn to Matthew chapter 2? And uh, we're going to headquarter actually in, in much of the same passage that we looked at last week on the Magi. And um, I'm a Christmas guy. I like Christmas sweaters. I I got Christmas socks on. I'm a Christmas guy. And I I try to, you know, it's one of those things that even if I don't wear a lot of them during the year, I I buy Christmas ties. I like ties. Pastor Dan, you probably have a Christmas tie for me. I I like them. And I I know people say, oh, you don't wear a tie. And no, I don't wear a lot of ties. And don't wear a suit all the time. And mostly because my neck, I just don't like ties. I have a short neck and they bug me a little bit. And so so, uh, I wear ties. And, and, and suits when it's appropriate. And, uh, but Tammy and I were at Kohl's sometime in the last couple of months and I always go by their little clearance area. I know where the deals are at. And they had two, I looked on the back of them, they had two ties off, and they were a St. Nicholas collection or something like that, and they're Christmas ties. They were blue, and I didn't have any blue Christmas ties, and then I had one of those little magic 30% additional off, so like for $2.70, I got two new Christmas ties, and so this last week, it was an occasion. We had a funeral here at the church where we were hosting, and then I had a funeral an hour later, and so I wore a suit that day, pulled out one of those new christmas ties i just got the one that looked the best with the suit i was wearing and put it on and frankly i thought i looked pretty good in this whole outfit and i i'm walking around people go you got a, you got a suit on you look pretty good i'm like hey, i know i'm wearing a suit and i walk into pastor tim's office and lester who is who is our building overseer he was also in there and I walk in, and Tim goes, whoa, you must have a funeral, because everybody knows i got a wedding or a funeral if I'm wearing a suit. And, uh, and they go, is that it? Is that, that looks pretty good. I said, yeah, I thought it looked pretty good. And, and they said, is that a Christmas tie? And I said, yeah, it's a St. Nicholas collection, although I don't know quite what's on it. And uh, Lester looks at it, and he goes, oh, that's a dreidel. <laughs> you must know what a dreidel is. I had no idea. I still I, 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 I did, had no clue what a dreidel was. By the way, I took a survey. Half of our staff do not know what a dreidel is. He goes, yeah, it's a dreidel. It's like a top. We play with them. You know, it's a song. I still don't have any clue what song you're talking about. But, but everybody would say the song. And he says, yeah, it's a, it's a Jewish toy. I said, a Jewish toy? So I take the tie and I look at it, and it's got Hebrew words on it. And I said, What in the world? I'm the only guy in the world that's got a Jewish Christmas tie. (laughs) After the first hour, somebody said, it's okay, Jesus probably played with one of those. I'm like, okay, there you go. So I guess I can wear it again. It's Jesus's dreidel toy, I guess is what it is. But anyway, it's funny because sometimes you think you know something and then you take a closer look and you see something you didn't realize was there. Matthew chapter 2 is one of those passages that about a month, month and a half ago when I was starting to get ready for this this message, I I saw something that I hadn't seen before. It's always been there. It just never caught me before. Matthew chapter 2, story of the Magi. We looked at it last week. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, During the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem, and they asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east, and we have come to worship him. Last week we talked about how the Magi were on a Magi mission. They were were willing to follow a sign, and it wasn't because they followed a sign. They followed a sign, a star, because they were searching for something deeper and meaningful but it took scripture to get them to Bethlehem and so they, they believed scripture but then when they knew the answer they were willing to pursue with their heart. It, it's this incredible journey of those who really don't have the background biblically who became worshipers of Jesus Christ. When King Herod heard that this he was disturbed and all of Jerusalem with him and then he called together all the people's chief priests and the teachers of the law and he said to them where the Christ was to be born he asked them and they said in Bethlehem in Judea they replied for this is what the prophet wrote but you O Bethlehem in the land of Judah are by no means the least of all the rulers in Judah for out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel then Herod called the magi secretly and found out from them the exact time that the star had appeared and he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. Now they did. They went and worshipped. But verse 12 says, and having been warned in a dream, do not go back to Herod. They returned to their country by another route. Now we, we find out why in verse 13 on. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, he took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, and they stayed there until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, Out of Egypt I will call my son. When Herod realized what had been done, And that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Now, we talked about the Magi last week. Um, We've been using as a backdrop for this whole series calling it the Chronicles of Christmas. We've been talking about the Chronicles of Narnia, or specifically The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, which is the first in the trilogy by C.S. Lewis. And if you have watched the movie, if you've read the book, there are certain things that are said over and over again, and one of them is this phrase that in Narnia, it is always winter, never Christmas. Now, Probably the older I get, the more that becomes real to me. And if you can kind of catch the meaning of this, it probably very quickly, even if you haven't read the, 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 seen the movie or read the, the book, you, you understand it. Winter tends to be a time of, of deadness. Now I know there are a few of you that winter is your favorite season. I would dare ask you, would you would it be your favorite season if it weren't for Valentine's Day? Uh, the January 1st and certainly Christmas if those weren't in it would you like it and some of you would you really love the snow and that kind of thing I like the snow I just not on the I don't like snow on sidewalks parking lots or the road if we could figure out how we could get it to fall everywhere else I'd be okay other than that other than in Christmas I really don't care if it snows it can never snow again except we need the moisture that kind of thing but when he says always winter never Christmas, he's talking about a barren season that never gets answered. A hopelessness that never finds a solution. And when I looked at this passage, the Magi are certainly key characters in Jesus and Mary and Joseph and But there are are three other hearts that are represented in this passage. And the first one that is a winter heart, always barren, never fulfilled, is the hard heart. And it's represented by Herod. Now you'll notice in this passage it, it says that when he heard that there was a star that was indicating that there was going to be born a king of the Jews Herod was disturbed he was disturbed he was preturbed and he was what he was is he was he was mad because Herod known as Herod the great is not that great although he did a couple of nice things in his in his 30 some odd years as king and when we call him king it wasn't because he was like caesar augustus he was a governor of a province, and then he was, he was named a king of that province. And he had been in charge of that province in Israel since around 35 B.C., and he reigned about 37 to 39 years total. He was called Herod the Great. What you should have called him was Herod the Paranoid because he, he was suspicious, he was untrusting, and it got worse the longer he was in power. Let me give you some examples. He had a wife that he was in love with and he loved wonderfully. Wives, women, how many sound, that sounds like a pretty good deal, right? You he loved her. And he declared on multiple occasions, I love Miriam so much that when I die, I can't live in eternity without her, so you need to put her to death when I die. How'd you like that in the proposal? You had no idea until death do us part, meant in death we do part, kind of a thing, you know. And Miriam began to suspect that he didn't really love her that much, so she turned a little cold toward him, and he didn't like the fact that she no longer was warm toward him, so he had her executed. She had two sons through Herod, both of which he had executed on suspicion of treason. What they were was gifted young men that he was afraid when they started getting of age they might usurp him as king so he took them out. He had a third son by another woman whom he also suspected of treason and so he had him executed. Caesar Augustus in his official edicts said this about Herod. It is safer to be a pig in the kingdom of Jerusalem than to be one of Herod's sons. That's who you're dealing with. And the longer he was in power, the longer he was in control, the worse. He got and what 's interesting is that when we talk about hard right hard hard people don 't usually start off, start off as hard people they, they, they harden because of something, and then the hardness takes hold in fact it 's really interesting because if he sounds familiar to, he sounds a lot like Pharaoh right because Pharaoh had. In, in order to try to population control the Jews, he wanted all the, the little boys what killed and thrown into the river. And that was how Moses kind of came out through that basket. If you read the story, there's a lot of similarity because he wanted to kill all the boys that were two years and younger, right? Because he thought that was about how long the star had been in the sky. And so he takes out all of them just in case there's one that might someday usurp him. And what we see in Scripture is that Romans 9 says that the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. But it's interesting, you go study the story of Pharaoh, Pharaoh actually hardened his own heart. It says he hardened or he resisted the Lord And then the Lord hardens his heart. It's almost as if God said, in my sovereignty, you're going to glorify me either in your obedience or your disobedience. And so if you are going to resist me, I will set you on your path of disobedience and you'll still bring glory to me. And that's exactly what Pharaoh did. And it's interesting, you'll notice in in Pharaoh some characteristics that maybe you know people who deal with this and when you are someone who is hard toward the things of the Lord, number one you will you'll always be dealing with pride because pride has to recognize that you have a need that you can't take care of in your own strength. And secondly, you're going to have to deal with power because you When you come to Christ, there has to be an acceptance, not just that you can't pay for your sin under your own strength, but when you accept the provision for your sin, Jesus Christ, He also calls you to follow Him as Lord. See, we love, we love the image of Christ. We love the picture of... christ paying for our sins but i think we struggle and don't like the idea of that he also gets to be lord which means he gets to call the shots and we'll accept the savior but we don't really want him to be lord we're going to take that as optional and you can't do that if you're going to be a believer in jesus christ not according to the word of god and if you're a control freak you really are going to have a hard time and i know it's not you it's the people sitting next to you but if you have a control issue and you've been in control of your life, letting go of that control and letting Christ be the one who leads you, that is really hard. And he exhibited a hard heart. Now there was another heart that was represented here, and I'm going to call it the cold heart, and it's the heart of the chief priests and the the specialists in the law. Notice what King Herod did. He said when he called together all the people's chief priests. These weren't his priests. It's just that in order to be a good leader, you need to know who you need to have on your side. And so he calls together the people's chief priests and the teachers of the law and he asked them where was the christ to be born in bethlehem in judea they replied you notice they didn't go research it they didn't go back and discuss it they simply replied to him why because they knew the answer right off the top of their head why because these are men who had been inundated with the scriptures their entire life. They didn't simply go through the normal system of education, but once they had kind of kind of set themselves apart as being specialized, they went into upwards of 20 years of education and preparation so that they knew the law forward and backward. They knew the prophets forward and backward they knew exactly where the christ was to be born it was in bethlehem here's what's crazy they had been so inundated with the truth that they became immune to its impact they'd seen it so much that it's almost like it didn't even didn't even resonate anymore. I mean, the, the magi, the people without the background, they're willing to go look for him. I understand Herod not going to look for him. He, he was keeping up a ruse. But if you were one of the chief priests and the prophets of the law, and you had people who came to you who announced that a star, and you know what it means, and you know the answer is in Bethlehem, wouldn't you go? It reminds me of Nicodemus in chapter 3 of John chapter 3. Jesus is talking to him and he's a religious ruler. He's, a, he's, a, he's Israel's teacher and he's looking at Jesus saying how can I have eternal life and how can I be born again? And Jesus looks at him and says you're Israel's teacher and you don't know this stuff. In uh, Translation, par- Pastor Phil paraphrase your job is to help people get to heaven and you don't know how to get there? That's why Jesus looked at them at one point and said, you dissect and study the scriptures because you think that by them you can have the keys to eternal life and yet all of those scriptures point to me and I'm standing right here and yet you don't recognize me. And there's a point in life where we can be so exposed to things that we almost become deadened to its impact into our life. Um, recently, I uh, was praying in a group of leaders and, and the Lord, I love it when this happens. Um, I believe that being, that praying in the spirit is allowing the Holy Spirit to kind of determine where your prayer life goes. And I didn't go in with any particular thing on my heart, but as I was there praying, the Lord just began to put things on my heart and it became very evident within the room that that's where the Lord was leading us in prayer. And I began to pray. And I, on my heart for some time uh, has been some of our funeral directors. They're great, great folk. I just feel bad for them because they're so exposed to loss all the time that you know that starts to you almost have to kind of put yourself in another position. Pastor Jane, you know how tired I am after a funeral. I, I tell I I just I'm so emotionally wiped out after a funeral. And there have been funerals where I've had to do them that were so personally hard that um that I've gone out in the hallway and I've I've wept out in the hallway pull it together come in do the thing and then go back out and weep again because you have to kind of hold it together for people and and i've just been really praying for them because they're so impacted by that stuff and then i began to play pray for our police force because you can be so exposed to so much stuff and loss and hardship and you can become cynical and and and, and i just kept praying i know a lot of our our police force and that are are believers and i was praying for them and then I started praying for our fire department i started praying for our i started praying for our e r doctors and nurses because you're just dealing with so much trauma that all of a sudden it's almost like you, you what, what do you say you almost got to kind of hide your humanity because you you can't be overwhelmed every time this happens and then I began to pray for our counselors who who carry some of the worst stuff that people have to carry then I thought about our social workers and our child protective services and and you can have different emotions about that whole thing but man you got to step into some things and you hear and see some of the worst of worst and you know, if you're not careful, you know I talked about strongholds a few years ago. How 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 the enemy uses strongholds in our life, and I, I shared with you that strongholds are walls that we that we put up, thinking that they're going to protect us, but the enemy uses them to actually hold us captive. And somehow they knew so much truth they'd become cold and then there's the third heart and I, I'm, I never noticed it just never noticed it before and I'm going to call this the disillusioned heart and this is all the people of Jerusalem when Herod heard this He was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. Why were they disturbed? I mean, why wouldn't they be happy if there's some other... First of all, king of the Jews right and Herod is not the king of the Jews at least not to them they've been they've been trying to get out of captivity under the Roman thumb for over 60 what five years 70 years they've been under oppression of some sort for the last 400 years they hadn't even heard a prophetic word since Malachi uttered his last words 400 years earlier don't you think they'd be kind of excited and you know what I think what it really means is simply this if if Herod's disturbed we're going to get disturbed because he's going to take it out on us and by the way he did right he didn't get what he wanted so what did he do he had all the boys under two years of age he had them all executed they were all killed by the way what an example can you imagine you can be so past conscience and become so hardened that you would do some of the most imaginable things that you would have never imagined before Now, why were they disturbed? Well, I don't think it's because they thought he was that great of a king. I think they were concerned about the risk. Because you ever hear the old statement better the devil you know than the devil you don't know they knew this devil they knew they knew what set him off they knew his idiot i mean he'd been in leadership for a lot of years and you know sometimes you just don't want to shake the status quo and you would rather stay in the bondage that you know than risk the potential of a freedom that you don't quite know by the way does that sound like Israel I mean they've done it their entire history all the way back to the exodus they were willing to stay in bondage captivity to Egypt rather than risk possibly following God into the promised land that's what kept him in a wandering state for so many but you know what I find out we're not that different than the church of israel we're kind of that way we'd rather stay in bondage and some people have stayed in some of the most unimaginable circumstances just because they're afraid of what possible freedom would even look like and it's possible that's why but i wonder if they were just so disheartened and disappointed because they've been disappointed so many times over the years it had to be the lord i would have never thought to go to this passage i don't think i've ever quoted it before but in acts chapter 5 when the disciples are out doing ministry and Peter and John are healing people in Jesus' name, the Sanhedrin bring them before them and they, they want to execute them, actually. They want to they put them to death, put them quiet. And there is a Jewish leader that stands up. His name is Gamaliel. I think that's how you say it. Um, he stands up and it says, He says this Men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. You see, some time ago, Theodos appeared, claiming to be somebody, and about 400 men rallied behind him, and he was killed, and his followers as well, and it didn't result to anything. After him, Judas the Galilean appeared in the day of the census, and he led a band, and they revolted, and he was killed, and came to nothing. And it struck me... They had had a number of people rise up to become their leader over the previous 400 years and specifically over the previous, I mean, good grief, Masada, the whole concept. That whole thing is them revolting against, against uh the, the Roman Emperor, and it's interesting that whole thing comes together, and they had they had dared to hope, and their hope was crushed, and then they dared to hope, and their hope was crushed, and they dared to hope, and their hope was crushed, and I think they were just tired of daring to hope, and so they were disturbed. Because Pastor, I believe this person and he let me down. I believe this person and he let me down. I believe mom and dad and mom and dad divorced and my dad taught this and then he left the family and mom did this and she disappointed and pastor said this and he blew it. And and you know what? I, I hate it that people let us down, but can I just tell you people generally do. But Christ, that's why he's, when we say he's faithful and true, it's because he always keeps his word. And I've I've dared to hope before, but I want to hope again. And Jesus, when he was entering into Jerusalem for the final week of his life, it says that he looked over Jerusalem and he wept and he said, oh, Jerusalem, if you would have only known this day, what could have brought you peace? And now the season's over. I've done a lot of funerals over the last um, several months. I, I don't know. This never had a year like this. Part of it is I've been doing funerals for families that don't have pastors and churches, and I, I've really enjoyed just. Um, coming alongside and trying to offer hope and the gospel into a situation where a lot of times pretty hopeless and it's really interesting when you speak at a funeral and I'm not a hard sell guy I mean I I come in and I try to minister and I never I never preach to the person who passed away they're already they're already passed away but I always want to preach to the people who are there and where do I look when, I, when I'm broken? Where do I look when I need hope? Where do I look when I'm going through crisis? And so that generally is how I, I speak at a funeral. And every once in a while, I don't know all the time, but every once in a while I'll see a face or a head, and I'll see them back there, and they'll kind of smile at me, and they're going like this, like, man, preach it, preach it, preach it. Go ahead. You know, I look at that when I'm, when I'm here. I'm always looking for the head, they're going, yeah, preach it. Um, there was a guy in one of the recent funerals, and by the way, this is you, shame on you. <laughs> um, you need to cheer up if that was you. Uh, he, he sat here like this the whole time and looked at me under the bottom half of his glasses and gave me the stink eye the entire time. And it was like he was saying, uh, heard it all before go ahead dare you it really was that was the way i mean it was it's kind of hard to look at the guy i had one service um behind me as i was waiting to get up we started the service they were playing a song touching song and there were there were two guys about three quarters of the way back they just would not shut up and they're yucking it up and they're talking i just thought man how rude i mean i don't i mean you know this person better than i know this person and just a little respect to the family i mean if you're here to support them and they just kept on going at it when i got up until it's funny i read psalm 23 i read it at almost every funeral and i read lord's my shepherd and i said and he restores my soul and i stopped and i said and and you know why would somebody ever write that well it's because sometimes your soul which is the essence of who you are it's broken and you need to be healed and they shut up and they didn't say another word the entire time they just watched and zoned on me the whole time i don't know what happened it's like a spirit came over the room I had one where no, the family would not sit up front. They were all over the place and one guy sat as far away as he could get, never did come up. I went back to give my respects, but I, that was it. It's almost like I just got to hide from what's happening. And, and then there was, some, at that same funeral, that one young lady She was an immediate family but no immediate family was sitting up front and there were some ladies, older ladies here and there was this teenage girl, I think she was 15 or 16 she told me and she sat right there on the corner and I went and I sat down when the service was done and she was just so broken up and the, the two older ladies looked at me and they, they did this and I went over and you know the, the, the thing's over and they said would you go talk to her and so I, I went over and I talked to her, and I got down on my knees to try to hear what she was saying, and the funeral director's coming up to close the funeral, have people come forward, do their last uh, viewing. I said, what's going on, sweetie? And she just cried, and she just said... I'm so angry at God, and I've lost this person this year, and this person this year, and this person this year, and it just so happened that the lady that passed away was a believer, and I was out of John 14, and I said something about that Jesus has made all the preparation for us to spend eternity with Him, and she said, "I don't, I haven't talked to God in months, and I don't, I don't have a clue." what would happen to me if I passed away we talked a little more and I said are you, are you telling me that you'd like to ask the Lord to forgive you and she said I don't even know where to start and I said oh I said it's just like a friend that you haven't talked to in ages pick up the phone you say I'm sorry I haven't called God can handle your anger Tell them you're sorry. I said, would you like me to pray with you? And I did. I started praying with her right there. And as I'm leading this young lady to the Lord, people are walking over my legs, going up, doing the final viewing. I've never had anything like that ever happen before. And the Lord gave me a word for her, and I said, you know, sweetie, um, the prodigal didn't have to get home before his dad loved him, I said, The story of the prodigal is that the son was on his way home and the father saw him and ran out and embraced him and kissed him over and over again. And I said, You don't have to get home under your own strength. All your father wants to know is do you want to come home? And there are some of you that um, it feels like winter. And either because of drifting or whatever, you just feel like um, it's not even possible. But can I tell you, you don't have to get there on your own. Salvation isn't something we earn or can do in our own strength. But the, the Father does want to know if you want to come home. And when you just indicate you want to come home, He has a way of meeting you there. So Father, today as we close, uh, I know this is probably a little heavier message than maybe some would have thought on a Christmas season, but how do you avoid what is so clearly in Scripture? And Jesus, I really want to come home and I just want to say I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I've been so stubborn that I have been resisting your voice. I'm sorry that I have almost been proud of how much i know about you and so little i know of you in person or for whatever reason i've just been uh, afraid to trust you but today i want to trust you and i'd really like to come home and I don't understand everything Pastor Phil talked about and even this whole thing of faith, but I know this. I want You, and I'm asking You to forgive me. Boy's always trying to be in control and in charge and putting on a face and a front. And today, I just want You to know I ask You to forgive me and I'd love for You to come into my life and, and boy, if You could thaw it and bring joy, I, I'd really love this Christmas to know what it means to, to be your child and so today by faith I reach out to you by faith I take a step towards you and I'm asking that you would meet me and bring me across to where you want me to be no preconditions I'm tired of fighting you I, I just want to say yes and whatever that means for my life that's fine I want to come home. And I don't always do this, but heads are bowed, eyes are closed, and I just feel like there's something about just giving a physical indication that, Lord, this is me today, and so you're here, and you just want to say, I want to come home. You just want to raise your hand. Just wait. Yeah, that's good. That's good. I just want to come home. I want to reach out to you. I want to be near. Father, You have a way of meeting us and embracing, and so we ask that You would do that. And Lord, affirm, affirm, affirm that we're Your child. We thank You. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Amen.